Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have <clears throat> been reading together uh, this fall about the life of the Apostle Peter. And uh, I have said all along that this is really a story uh, about what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter. It is, it's really a story of what the love of Jesus calls him to and what it works in him and what it makes of him for the life of the world. And so that makes it a hopeful story for people like us because seeing Jesus with Peter gives us a clear picture of what Jesus' love might make of people like us too. So this morning's uh, story is a story in which Peter plays a small but uh, significant part. Uh, it is a, a story of mass defection. It is a catastrophe uh, from one way of looking at things. People have started to peel away from Jesus because he has said that he is the bread of life. So I'm going to read uh, from the end of John 6 for us. I'll read verses 60 through 71. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed if you'd like. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is God's word. And it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, as we talk about this word that we have just read and heard together that you would tend to us, tend to every one of us here. That you would meet us, everyone, in the places where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, those who have wandered away, we ask that you would bring us back. Those who are hurting, we ask that you would bring healing and peace. Whatever it is, Father, that we need to hear, help us to hear it through your Son and by the Spirit. As we uh, just sang, fit your church to meet this hour. And we prayed in Christ's name. Amen. So a couple of months ago, uh, Allison and I got a piece of furniture. Uh, it's from the 60s, and I'm pretty sure that it was intended uh, to be a sideboard, uh, but we had a very specific use in mind for it. I wanted to put a turntable on top of it and store records inside of it. And this 
This piece of furniture looked like it was perfectly suited for that, but when I got it home, I realized that there was a problem. The shelf inside it is adjustable, but even at its highest level, it's about a quarter inch uh, too short for LPs to fit under it. So I, I do know what the solution to that problem is. I should measure uh, and then carefully drill four new holes for the shelf brackets. Then I could move the shelf up, put the records underneath it, and I would never have to think about it again. But you know how it is. Um, or maybe you don't, so I will tell you how it is, at least with me. Uh, instead of doing what I just said that I should do, I have tried all kinds of other things to solve this problem, which has mainly looked like me uh, shoving things in between the bracket and the shelf, things that don't belong inside a piece of furniture like this. Oh, maybe those rubber feet that I found lying around will work, or maybe these wooden shims will work, or maybe these plastic shims will work, or maybe, maybe I should just stick four pencils inside this thing, and that'll work. Um, <clears throat> all of these solutions, so-called, have been fail failures. They are quick, and they are easy, but they always leave me back at square one. And I will tell you <laughs> that the odd thing is I never get frustrated at myself about this. I always get frustrated at that piece of furniture. I blame it, you know? Why can't you just work the way that I want you to work, you stupid sideboard? Why can't you just be what I want you to be? It is nonsense, and I know it's nonsense. But it is the kind of nonsense that I am good at. And honestly, I think we're all pretty good at that kind of nonsense. Not necessarily uh, with furniture, but with things that matter a lot more than that. And I think that's what happened at Capernaum that day in the story that we just read together. Jesus just won't be the Jesus that people want him to be. He will not conform uh, to their desires. He will not deal with their problems in exactly the way they want them dealt with. He will not stop saying the things that they don't want to hear. It is frustrating to them, and they blame him. What they don't do is look at themselves and ask, ask, what if this Jesus that we don't want, what if he's really the Jesus we need? And so they're out. <laughs> Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This catastrophe at Capernaum places the 12 in a really incredible, important spot in their lives. And Jesus, who is always one to enter exactly into those kind of moments, does. And he asks them a question. Do you want to go away as well? Are you going to leave too? And Simon's answer to Jesus is one for the ages. And I think it is really important for people like us to consider both parts of that. Jesus' question and Simon's answer. How do we hear Jesus' question and how do we respond right here, right now this morning? So here's the, uh, here's the backstory for that moment. John 6, honestly, is a whopper of a chapter. You should read it all later this afternoon. Um, the day before, Jesus had met, fed more than 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. You've heard of this story. In fact, it's one of the handful of stories that all four of the Gospels tell us about Jesus 
And it was a stunning thing, no doubt a stunning thing for everyone who saw it, everyone who had been fed, everyone who had been part of that day, they were stunned. And it, it started to, to get that great crowd to have some, some thoughts about Jesus, thoughts like, hey, maybe, maybe this is the greater prophet that Moses taught us about, thoughts like, hey, maybe we should grab Jesus and get him to Jerusalem right quick and make him our king, because we could use a guy like him on the throne. And Jesus knows this is uh, happening, of course, so he slips away by himself to pray, and then a bunch of amazing things happen on and in uh, the Lake of Galilee that night, stuff that we talked about back in September. And then the next morning, the crowds find Jesus. He knows that they are looking for him because of what happened the day before with the loaves and, and the fishes. He knows that's why they're there. And so he greets them with this beautiful and evocative invitation. It's in verse 26 of chapter 6. Sorry, verse 27. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to them. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Stop working for the food that goes away. Start working for the food that lasts. I give that food to you. (laughs) I mean, just think about that. You're scrambling around all day. You're scrambling around every day to get at the stuff that's going to fill you up, that's going to satisfy you, that's going to make you content, but it is always going away. It is always slipping away. So you got to scramble the next day and the next day, and you got to scramble the day after that too, and it never ends. And this is what Jesus is saying. And it is every bit as true and every bit as piercing today right now as it was the day that he said it. All of the stuff that we know in our bones that we have been made for, all of the stuff that we have been made to be with God and with one another and with ourselves and with this created order, it often remains elusive to us. It remains just outside of our grasp. And all of the money and all of the experiences and all of the great jobs and all of the stellar accomplishments and all of the projects completed, they're all just stand-ins and then we feel it again. The immeasurable burden of self-belonging. The immeasurable burden of it is always up to me, all of the time, always, all the time. The great weight is always up to me. And for many of us, it's not only the burden of self-belonging, it's the immeasurable burden of thinking, <laughs> of thinking that we've got to save everyone around us and we've got to save the whole world too. And it is exhausting because we were not made for it. Jesus is right. He, there's this one bread. <laughs> there's this one bread that endures and all of the other stuff, as good as it can be, can never hold up to the weight of enduring. It's not meant to. And the crowds, you know, they get the metaphor. (laughs) They hear him. It sounds so good to them. It sounds like the thing they've been waiting their whole lives to hear. 
And so they asked Jesus, what, what, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? What are the works that we need to be doing? Uh, what are the works of God? He, they say to him, Jesus, okay, if it's true, then tell us what we need to do to get at this bread that endures forever. And Jesus, he turns the whole thing on its head. And he says, this is the work. This is the work. Believe in the one that God sent. I am the bread of life. I am the true bread from heaven. I am the living bread. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Believe in me. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Not hard like we can't understand it, but hard like we don't want it. And Jesus knows this, and so he asks, do you take offense at this? And the truth is, the truth is there is a lot in what Jesus has just said to them um, that was incredibly demanding of the sensibilities of the folks that were listening to him that day, right? You think you're better than Moses? You're, you're Joseph's son. <laughs> we know your mom and your dad. You're the carpenter's boy. You think you're better than Moses? I mean, you, you're telling us now that you're the bread of heaven? You think you know God better than we know God? You think you're closer to God than we are? And to think we just wanted just a little while ago to make you king, and now here you are talking about dying in flesh and blood for the life of the world? That's not what messiahs do. That's not who they are. Jesus just won't be who they want him to be. He won't conform to their dreams. He won't conform to their desires. Jesus will not baptize their measly version of the good life. And church, he won't do those things because of love, because of his steadfast love, because what they need and what this broken world needs is him, his life given for our life, his life given for the life of the world, the true bread from heaven. The food that endures. And I'm telling you, church, you eat that bread and all the other stuff starts to fall into place. And you know you can understand, on the one hand, their objections. They, they, they do kind of know where he came from. And if that's where he came from only, then the, the stuff that he's saying seems like he's embarrassingly overshooting his, his station in life, you know? I mean, if he's just the guy from Nazareth, if he's just the carpenter's son, then what he's saying is uh, delusional. It's madness. And so Jesus asks another question. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And I think in a lot of ways that is the heart of the matter at Capernaum that day. Who is Jesus, really? He's not only the carpenter's son. He isn't only Mary's firstborn. I mean, church, he is that, and thank God he is that forever. He is seated with the Father right now as one of us. But he is not only that, he is also the one the Father sent, the Word who was with him in the beginning, who was with God, who was God. He is the Word who is made flesh. 
He's not Jesus like as some kind of an ideal. He's not Jesus the dispenser of wisdom. He's not Jesus the teacher of morality or Jesus the teacher of spirituality. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what they thought that he was going to say when they came to him that day and said, what, what can we do? What's the work of God? I don't know what he thought, they thought he was going to say when, when they came to him and they said, okay, we want this bread. Tell us how to get the food that endures. Maybe they thought that he came to unlock some higher spirituality. Maybe they thought that he came to give them some secret or teach them some special way to pray or to give them a list of seven or eight or ten things to do to feel close to God and happy and overthrow Rome and whatever else it was that they wanted. They didn't need any of that thin, stupid stuff any more than we need any of that stuff. They needed the word made flesh. They needed to rest by faith in the one, church, in the only one who can lead us through cross and resurrection and ascension back to the Father and to all that we have been made for as children of the Father. So that's who he's going to be, and that's what he will do because of his steadfast love. And it is a scandal, and it will not be co-opted, and it will not be tacked onto some other thing because it is the only thing. And Jesus knows, you know, and he makes it clear that nobody gets to faith in him by reasoning it all out or by some reflection on our own wisdom about stuff in life. He knows that. Not that those things are bad. Sometimes they're helpful, but they're not enough to get over the hurdle. They're not enough to swallow the scandal of word-made flesh. As Jesus puts it, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is not any help there. But that's nothing to fear, church, because Jesus says that the words he has spoken to us are spirit and life. He is the one who, by the Spirit and through his word, overcomes our helplessness to believe. That's what Jesus does. Through his word and by the Spirit, he overcomes my helplessness to believe. To paraphrase the Apostle Paul to his friends at Galatia, we hear with faith. That's what we do. We listen to Jesus with faith, and it is enough, and it will always be enough. But after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. There was a mass defection from the Jesus who would not be co-opted to our desires. A mass defection from the Jesus who won't save us in precisely the ways that we would like to be saved. A mass defection against the Jesus who stubbornly will not listen to us when we say, Jesus, you can have this much of me, but not anymore. So Jesus asks another question, this time of the 12 who are standing there after the great attrition. And I, I always like to remind myself that whenever Jesus asks a question, he is not asking because he does not know the answer. Jesus knows the answer to every last question he ever asks. But he still asks them, not for him but for us, so that we will think on it, so that we will be able to begin to put to words the deepest and most important things inside of us. 
He asks questions as a means of overcoming our powerlessness to believe. And so he asks, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon. Simon, who had once wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Simon, who had been lifted graciously from the sea. Simon, the rock who holds the keys, the Satan who hinders. Simon, who once thought he could catch heaven in a tent. Simon speaks and he asks a question of his own. Lord, to whom shall we go? Simon uh, wavers his whole life. I hope that's not a spoiler. I mean, Simon wavers all the way to the end, but he did not waver that day. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It is, I think, a very telling thing that in all of the Gospels, Jesus is only called the Holy One of God one other time, One other time, it also happened to be in Capernaum, very early in Jesus' ministry. It was a demon who called him that, terrified for its life. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, it asked. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know that you are from God, and I know that my fate rests in your hands. And church, I think that is precisely the meaning of Simon's answer, too. (laughs) I mean, did did Simon understand all that he had heard Jesus say that day about being the bread of life and about his flesh and his blood? Did did Simon like hearing again that he is going to have to follow Jesus into death? Did, Did Simon understand the weight of those words and the shape of them in his own life, in Jesus' life, in their life together? Of course he did not understand those things. But he heard with faith And that was all that the Spirit needed to overcome his powerlessness to believe. I have learned, Jesus, that you mean nothing but good for me. And so my fate rests with you. And Simon's place in the story, as it it often is, is our place in the story. The Jesus that we sometimes do not want, right? The Jesus who tells us that we are not our own and that our bodies are not our own and that our stuff and our talents and our gifts and our resources, they, they really aren't our own either. That Jesus. The Jesus who tells us that to follow him is to deny ourselves, it's to first die to ourselves. That Jesus. The Jesus who tells us that the good life is actually a life that is given up for the good of others. That Jesus. The one who tells us to forgive. Period. Full stop. The Jesus who says don't run around holding anger and pretending like it makes you stronger. That Jesus. The Jesus who says pray for your enemies, pray for the ones who hurt you. That Jesus and no other one, the true bread of heaven, given for the life of the world, who means nothing but good for us, that is the Jesus that we need. (laughs) So follow him if you haven't. And stay with him if you have. And come back if you have wandered away. Remain with him and listen to him when he talks.
because Simon is absolutely right. He has the words of eternal life. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would use uh, the word of Jesus and your spirit and every other means that you have at your disposal to break through all of the nonsense that we are very, very good at. All of the running, all of the eating, all of the drinking, all that we do to satisfy, to get at that stuff that endures that is not Jesus. Father, help us to get to the place where we do not waver, like Simon on that one day who said, where else could we go? You have the words of life. Father, we ask that you would do this for us so that we could grow up in our faith and be strengthened, so that we could love one another better, so that through us you can love this broken world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.